Hey, 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 guys. Welcome back to another episode of... Is this thing on? That's the closest thing you're probably going to get to a mic tap for at least a little while because um, all my previous podcast recording equipment is back at my parents' house. And really, that mic that I was using um, was my sister's, so... I'm just going to have to get some new podcast equipment and yeah, we'll figure that out soon. Um, anyhow, how are you guys? I know it's already past noon um, and it's Monday and this episode, excuse moi, I had a little burp there. Uh, this episode should have already gone live, but I'm recording it regardless. Okay, so you're going to get an episode on Monday, at, like I said, regardless, like I mentioned last week. So, um, let's see. We did a little catch-up last week of everything that's been going on with me for the last, what, like three-ish and a half months. And now we are actually in the second week of July. And, like, are you kidding me? It is going by so fast. Um, It is insane how fast time is going and a lot of people because if you didn't know this about me I'm a teacher um and you know what I have um summer break off right now but everybody keeps asking me so when do you go back when do you go back when do you go back and (laughs) truth be told I do not want to do the math right now as to how many days I have left until I go back for the brand new school year because frankly I just wanted to take a little break because I worked summer school um I wasn't contractually obligated to work summer school but I decided to do it anyways because I was bored thought well you know what I could make a little extra money this summer and uh I'm very blessed that I still get paid regularly in the summer Um, So that's the one nice thing about being a teacher. Um, The other nice thing is seeing the progress that your students make. I think that's probably what makes teaching worthwhile is seeing how they, how our students are able to do from the beginning of the year all the way until the end. And, And it's not even like that grades or number uh, measures or progress I think so often uh, you know educators and and parents um, but I think more so educators and it's not even our fault it's our uh, our school district's fault and um, people that are in the um, upper level of education boards and education systems Um, they're more so at fault than we are because we're literally just taking in the protocols, the procedures that they give us from upper management and trying to implement them as best as possible in our districts, in our classrooms. But I think so often we get so um, consumed with teaching our kids strategies to pass those standardized exams Um, that we forget to give them room to express themselves creatively. And, you know, I can say this with full confidence because I was a byproduct of public school my entire life. Um, I went to public school from the time I was uh, pre-K kinder all the way up until high school. Um, And then... My high school experience, I mean, I've already talked about this. Um, If you want to know what life was like for me in high school, go back a few episodes. It's in season one of this podcast. Um, If you want to go check it out, I have an episode on high school. But um, my high school experience was a little bit different from everybody else's. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to get into it because I already have an episode on on high school. But, um, you know, growing up, the biggest thing for us was memorizing these strategies so that we can then use them for our standardized testing. 
And see, the problem I have with that is that we're not actually teaching our children, our students, um, valuable skills. Memorizing and recall is one of the most basic, most innate things we can do. Um, We start memorizing from the time we are like one to three years old. You know, even babies babbling the same thing over and over again is is just a sign of short-term memory recall. They're essentially mimicking what their parents and their caretakers and those around them and their... um, um, uh, internal environment is 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 uh, projecting back onto them, and so memory recall and short term memory um, is not very effective. Honestly, um, it is in fact is it is effective if you are using it for like a short term skill. Uh, for example, you're um, taking a test. Um, like a quiz or something, a test, and you need to know those things um, within a short amount of time, I think short-term memory recall can be quite effective. But if we're talking in the future for the grand scheme of things, like as a lifelong skill, it will not, um, it will not be effective at all. And I think a lot of the time, we are teaching these kids to just memorize things, memorize these uh, strategies to help them pass these so-called exams that literally don't measure anything. But that's, you know, in my humble opinion, you know, because I'm not in the education board. I, I don't have a say in what goes in and out of our children's and students' exams. Um, I just have to... Uh, follow up with the procedure and do it but um anyways it's it's just not effective and I think there's a reason why distributed learning over the years works there's a reason why field lesson learning works and it's because it allows the kids to express themselves to be creative um to really really get to open themselves up and and read between the lines and I think if we constantly are in this systematic oppressive state where the kids are just learning memorizing facts and stuff sure it'll stay in your short-term memory but long term you know let's say you know we're preparing these kids for critical thinking skills the the skills that they are learning right now at this stage in their lives um, especially in the public school system that they're memorizing these things for their standardized tests, I can guarantee you with full certainty that those skills will not carry on into by the time they go into college and they have to really do critical thinking and write these very analytical and persuasive essay papers. You know, that none of that prepared me for college. What prepared me for college was researching and and knowing how to research and knowing where to find your sources and making sure you have credible credible sources and also just letting kids uh, research a topic that they are passionate about yeah maybe it should be related to the subject matter and and that's fine but letting really these kids develop hobbies and 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 things of interest especially in school i think is just so important because it enables them to to foster that creativity that they have and and, and we're so limited within the school systems uh by giving these kids these state exams and you know what guys i could go on and on and on and on and on maybe some of you teachers are looking at me and you're like ah, i've heard this argument before numerous times but what can we do yeah and and i feel you i feel you um which is why if I ever have children, uh, they are not going to public school. I'm, I'm going to put them in private or charter or some type of Montessori system. Or I will homeschool my kids because honestly, like, I don't like the way our education system is going. Um, I, it's, we're looking at kids more and more like numbers and statistics rather than actual human beings and instead of focusing on such 
difficult criteria that in the end does it not even challenge them why don't we focus on fostering their critical thinking skills and their creative their creativity skills instead of constant memory recall because let me just tell you if we focus more on their creativity and learning how to foster that creativity that creativity will lead them to be able to analyze critically and and develop those important critical thinking skills and decision making skills and that is such an essential skill that we need once we are adults um because i can tell you for a fact right now i'm the most indecisive person in the world and i think that comes with the fact that i was always told what to do growing up that it, it really really stunted my way of deciphering things for myself because I had all these choices but these choices were already pre-selected and pre-made for me and I never really got to think outside the box and when I did want to think outside of the box it always defaulted to me going back to well what what would my parents do or what would my teacher do or you know stuff like that that I never really got a voice to choose for myself you know what I mean um, but anyways, I could keep going on and on and on and on and on and on and on about this topic. And if you would like to hear more about education stuff, maybe I can make an episode on that. But today's episode was actually not even going to be on this. Um, it's going to be on just the things that I've learned, um, that I've come to discover that even my psychologist last week when I had my session back last week because I don't know if I mentioned this but I'm I, I'm obviously in therapy I have been in therapy since January of this year and I took a little break but now I'm back with my psychologist and um, I was telling her that you know I've had this I don't know if you guys have heard this phenomenon this um, phrase but the runner chaser dynamic I think I've sort of maybe sprinkled it into some of these episodes when I've talked about relationships and friendships, but I don't think I ever really talked about it in depth in depth, and how it relates to my life. Um, and that's actually what I want to talk about today is the runner-chaser dynamic and how that relates to what I've experienced in the last 23, 24, 25 years of my life up until this moment that I now have a more healthy view of myself and those around me. So let's dive in. Um, If you hear a little crinkling, um, I'm drinking water from a water bottle. And I'm constantly thirsty and the South Texas heat is no joke. So if you're out in the sun right now, please stay hydrated. Um, please try to be in a cool area as much as possible. Um, yeah, what can I say? Anyways, so I was telling my therapist last week because I went back into therapy after taking about a month, a little month hiatus because I was moving into this new apartment that I share with my roommate. Um, and she was encouraging me to move out for the longest time and the only thing that was really really holding me back from moving out of my parents house is was my finances um but now that i have that under control you know i was able to move out and whatnot anyways so my therapist was really really pushing for me to move out because of my unhealthy dynamic with my family, with my parents at home. And that's ultimately what caused me to move out of my parents' home was that, that it had prolonged for so long that um, I just couldn't take it anymore. And if I had been at that house any longer, I probably would have needed to be in, uh, my mental health would just, it would have been in worse shape than it is now. But anyways, I was telling her that, my psychologist, that the common pattern that I've always noticed in my life is that over time with almost everything in my life, 
um, especially with friendships and relationships and familial uh, dynamics. Um, I've always been the chaser and never the runner. Um, and let me let me elaborate on that. What I mean by that is that for the longest time possible, my body, my um, sim, what's it called? My nervous system, my, it's going to kill me if I don't know the, <laughs> the actual, my sympathetic nervous system, I think that's the word, okay? I should know this. I have a bachelor's of science in psychology, and I forget these terms. I've been out of school for a while, guys, so be uh, patient with me. But in my psychological discoveries about myself, and I, I would like to preface that I have a bachelor's of science in psychology, but, but just because I have a bachelor's of science in psychology does not make me a professional, nor a psychologist, nor a therapist. So if you ever need like real psychological advice, I would advise you to, if you can afford it and, and it's in your plans, go to therapy or seek some um, mental health help but not from me, because I am not a professional. I'm not a licensed professional. I'm not qualified to do this. This is just my own psychological uh, findings. Um, it sounds, it's gonna sound a little bit like I'm self-diagnosing, but I'm gonna try to refrain from that because I do use a lot of psychobabble and psych lingo and, and um, I'll try to dumb it down a little bit for y'all. Um, that, that came out wrong, not dumb it down, but I'm going to try to like put it in words where it sounds more cohesive, more uh, user-friendly to everybody. But anyways, um, and actually don't mind the air conditioning, it's going to be going in and out. Um, anyways, I was telling my psychologist that for, my, for the entirety of my life, I've always been the runner. And what I mean by runner... I mean the chaser, not runner. We're talking about runner-chaser dynamic, chaser-runner dynamic, whatever. Um, I've always been the chaser for my entire life. Um, and what I mean is that because of the environment that I grew up in, because of the way that I was raised and, and, and my, you know, my variables around me and, and everything going on, I developed this um, mechanism. And going back to my sympathetic nervous system, my body was always in fight or flight mode. Um, always. I don't think there was ever a time where my body was just at an equilibrium, like at a balance. For the longest time, my body was just in fight or flight mode. Um, more fight than flight, but definitely my body was always on edge. And, and I can tell you that for a fact because of my health issues. But, you know, when your body's in fight or flight mode, you know, that's going to trigger a lot of anxiety psychologically and physically and so when you are the chaser in the chaser and runner dynamic you know a lot of it is attributed to how you grew up your environment around you and I'm going to be as respectful as possible because at the end of the day these people still are my parents and if they do come across this podcast and they listen to it I don't want to disrespect them but I'm just going to say this. I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. Um, not abusive, but dysfunctional. Um, but dysfunction can be a form of abuse. And I'll elaborate on that. But basically, I was telling my psychologist that because my body was always in fight or flight mode, because I grew up in a dysfunctional chaotic environment for the entirety of my life up until now that I live on my own um, 
I was always chasing after people's attention and affection and time and, and whatnot. Wait, what? Yeah. So that always made me the chaser. And the reason for that is because emotionally, if you come from, if you are the chaser and the runner chaser dynamic, right? Um, typically what I found before, this is in previous findings, but I have found that those of us that are the chasers instead of the runners in this dynamic, a lot of us have an, a very anxious attachment style, anxious and, um, yeah, most, mostly anxious attachment style. Um, I would have to look up the attachment styles to find out how many are there. Let me just give me a second. I'm going to look that up right now because it's going to really, really mess with me if I don't do this. Um, give me one second. I'm going to look up the attachment styles. Here we are. Okay. Yeah, I don't. So there's four attachment styles. Okay, we have secure, avoidant, anxious, and disorganized. So I have found that those of us that are the chasers in the runner and chaser dynamic, most of us have an anxious, uh, attachment style and also disorganized, fearful, avoidant attachment style. And what that basically means is that, well, it's in the name, anxious. A lot of it is fueled and driven by anxiety. So as children, because we were always in this fight and flight mode, we automatically equated chaotic energy chaos in our lives as normal as normalcy and so what did we do when we had two parents that were both avoidance um in their attachment styles that they both had an avoidant attachment style what did we do we were constantly uh seeking their approval, their time, their affection, their attention. Um, and because of the fact they were avoidant, dismissive, um, our emotional needs were never um, satisfied, were never satiated. Um, and we looked for those little, little bitty moments of like, oh, um, mom wants to give me a hug. I'm going to take it. But then later on, we would want to have a conversation with our parents if something was happening to us. And we would often get dismissed by, oh, well, just ignore it. Um, just put it away. Just ignore those people. Um, just let it go um, was one of the most common responses I would get in my household. And I feel like that's like another common thing for most people with this uh, chaser dynamic is that a lot of us were often told to suppress our emotional needs, our emotional desires, because we grew up in very avoidant, dismissive um, households where our parents or our caretakers satisfied the tangible um, physical things that we needed in our environment, but never the emotional. And so often growing up, the number one thing I got when I was trying to talk to my parents about my feelings was, well, I provided this for you. I provided a home. I provided clean clothes and a meal and everything. You were never lacking anything. 
But as soon as I would mention, yes, but you make me feel this way and I feel this way and I feel as though I can never come to you and talk to you about this, immediately it's like my emotional needs got put in the same category as my physical needs, you know? And, or not physical needs, what, what is it called? Um, going back to Maslow's pyramid of hierarchy needs, we have our physiological, there we go, I'm sorry, not physical, <laughs> physiological needs. Um, our physiological needs are things like food, water, warmth, uh, rest. Um, and a lot of the time when I would express that I was feeling some sort of way that I wanted to talk to my parents about how I was feeling, my emotional needs always got suppressed um, because my parents would think, well, I'm providing food, water, rest, shelter. We're not drug addicts. We're not uh, abusive. We're not this. We're not that. And so they would automatically equate it to, oh, she's ungrateful, uh, even though she has all this. Like, what more, what else does she want? And, and it sucked because I think in order to create a really good attachment style and a good familial parent-child dynamic, we need to have a balance and a mixture of all these needs being satiated. Um, and, and for me, my emotional uh, needs were never, never satisfied. So the moments where I did get those nuggets of my parents wanting to be affectionate, my parents uh, listening to me for like two seconds, but then later on, you know, dismissing me and telling me that I just needed to pray more and, 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 uh, ignore those people and, and uh, breathe and all this stuff, you know, it just always got pushed back. And it, it always made me um, chase after my needs, chase after the things that I wanted, which is in the end, um, emotional stability in my parent child relationships um and then because i had such a dysfunctional such a chaotic relationship with my parents well that automatically equated and translated to me trying to look for some sort of emotional stability in my friendships and in my potential romantic relationships. So I can tell you uh, with full-blown honesty that a lot of the time, even to this day now that I'm a 25-year-old woman and I'm fully self-aware of everything that is wrong with me, <laughs> which can be a good and a bad thing. Because again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trying to sit here and diagnose myself. But this is what I know of to be true for myself, and my psychologist has confirmed this with me. But I, you know, I looked for that emotional stability that I didn't have with my parents, with my friends, and with my, you know, with the people that I was interested in romantically. Um, and a lot of it resulted in me being disappointed because I would often enter into these friendships. Um, and for the longest time, I've never been one for small talk. I have never liked just like small little chitty chatter, catching up talk, uh, surface level conversation, or as I like to call them, surface level friendships. You know, you have those people that you bump into every now and then again, and they're, and you sit there and you catch up for maybe like a total, a grand total of like five minutes and then you go about your merry lives, you know? Um, I never wanted that growing up. And I was never fully satisfied and okay with that 
because I was always seeking for emotional fulfillment in my parents. And it seemed to me like, sorry, I had a little water break. It seemed to me like the reason I was always so uncomfortable and never satisfied with just this uh, small talk, chitty chatting, um, catching up talk was because it often felt like that's what I did with my parents growing up. We never had these deep emotional talks um, where I could just sit there and comfortably vent to my parents how I was feeling, um, how they made me feel, how my self-esteem was in the gutter. I was never fully able to express myself like that. And so because it was always limited to small talk, even with my parents, and when it came to looking for friends and me wanting those deep, meaningful, enriching conversations, it's because my inner child was always silenced. It's because I never got those moments to be vulnerable with my parents and to let them know everything that was going on through my head. They never took the time to listen to my emotional needs. They never took the time to sit down with me and, and, and discuss how something was making me feel. And the times that I would open up, I would immediately get shut down by, okay, go to your room, or um, I don't have time for this, or um, you know, just pray about it, just, just go to your school counselor, just you know, never got it hurt. And so the fact that when I did get hurt, it was very much like small talk. I, I hated that. I still to this day hate that because like I said, my inner child was wounded, was never hurt. And so that resulted in my inner child always wanting to be heard, which is why I always sought out deep, meaningful conversations with friends and wanted deep, meaningful friendships because I never had that growing up and I was always silenced and my inner child was never heard, which is why a lot of us end up oversharing. Um, it is a trauma response to our inner child being shut down and, and neglected emotionally. Um, and I'm working on, on, on healing that part of myself because to this day, I struggle a lot with finding contentment in my friendships. And I can say that with full-blown honesty because I'm experiencing it right now as a grown woman. Um, I find it very hard for me to stay happy in my friendships and I've I've voiced it out to friends that I have here and there like hey you know you call yourself my friend but you never check in on me you never talk to me you never make plans to see me you we never talk we ne it never gets past the high by how you doing type of thing um and there's a time and a place for small talk and there's also a time and a place for deep meaningful conversations and so I always sought out the deep, meaningful conversations because of my inner child being silenced and suppressed. And because of that, it led to oversharing, which I can see why now a lot of people would have been and could still be turned off by me. And I don't mean that in like a erotic kind of sense. I mean, turned off as in my personality, that part of my personality of oversharing would make someone not want to be my friend because it's like I'm dumpster, I'm emotional dumpster dumping onto them because I was never heard or seen as a child. And, and that translates a lot into my personality in terms of like for example my humor 
I I make a lot of self-deprecating jokes for the longest time I made pretty much my entire humor was comprised and composed of self-deprecating jokes even to this day I think I still kind of do it and because of that it has turned away a lot of people in my life it has caused a lot of people to distance myself from me and I can now see why a lot of my friends would always tell me you know Eva when we're talking you literally always make it about you and it's not that I mean to and and hear me when I say this if you are my friend and I have done this to you I truly am sorry and I'm not trying to make an excuse here but it was really because I was in, I was neglected so much emotionally that I never had a space or a voice to voice out how I was feeling and what I was going through. So I I need you guys to understand that it's not because I'm trying to make things about me. It's because that part of me was always silenced. Um, it was always shut down. And the same thing with my romantic relationships. I would try to look for a partner that wanted that deep meaningfulness and I would tell guys right off the bat what I was looking for and a lot of them immediately got turned off by it like I would say I don't want to hook up I don't want hookups I don't want just a casual thing I want seriousness I want intentionality this is what I want. I'm not looking for a casual hookup. And if you think you are going to try to turn me into a casual hookup try type of girl, well, you better break it off because I'm not doing that. And it sucks because a lot of us, specifically women, but I mean, I think also it could be said for men too as well. A lot of us will go into, will approach relationships um with a very like nonchalantness kind of way which is like we want to feed into the the cool girl cool guy kind of um aesthetic right where we are very nonchalant about our relationships and how we approach them like and a lot of us will sub- succumb or say that we're looking for something casual and we're okay with casually dating and seeing multiple people when the reality is a lot of us are not okay with that a lot of us frankly feel uncomfortable and at least for me i was never ever able to juggle dating more than one guy i was never i did have my moments where i did you know try to casually date guys and it never worked out because that's just it they wanted casual they wanted you know they wanted someone that was willing to put out right away and 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 they wanted instant gratification and and i didn't want that but because you know i thought well if i give in to these casual relationships eventually that'll turn into a non-casual relationship and it'll become a serious relationship and it never did so take it as it is when someone says that they don't want a serious relationship with you take it for what it is and believe them and when they say that because we are kind of growing in a society where a lot of young people are non-committal um we are seemingly okay with being so nonchalant about the way we date that it's getting harder and harder and harder to want to get married or even consider marriage because we think oh well i'm gonna just casually date this person we're gonna see where it goes Um, We're going to take it slow. And I've heard every phrase in the box, in the book of like, oh, we're going to just take it slow. Oh, we're going to see where this goes. And to be honest, that is just a bullshit excuse for 
not wanting to open up vulnerability, but also not wanting that responsibility of being vulnerable, you know? And, and that's what I have found that typically people would say that, oh, I want to take it slow or let's see where this goes. It's because they, in actuality, do not want to take it slow. They just want to see how fast they can get into someone's pants um, without having to lift a single finger and do the actual work, which a relationship requires work. Any kind of relationship requires work, but more so a romantic one um, because it requires getting to know someone, uh, getting to build a friendship with them, and, you know, getting to win over that person's trust. Um, and so when these people are seeking now romantic, I mean, casual flings, like casual relationships, hookups, whatever you want to call it, they're not actually trying to gain your trust or hoping that they gain your trust. They'll come off as though they want to gain your trust and they'll do this very easily by kind of giving in temporarily and short term to some of those needs that you have but once they I guess appease to some of those needs um, that you have later on they'll kind of start to push the envelope a little bit and try to push those boundaries to see how far they can get with you. And once they realize they've passed this like test, then they are free to sort of manipulate you to however way they want, which is the sad reality. Hold on guys, I need, I need to drink more water. I'm, I'm very thirsty, I don't know why. So what I was trying to say is that when we're trying to go into relationships and we're these, and a lot of us, I feel, I feel like a lot of us, you know, are not these casual seeking relationship people. Um, and we're so often, I guess, afraid to voice out that we don't want just casualness because we're afraid it's going to scare people off but here listen here babe i'm gonna talk to you like you're my best friend and i'm gonna say this uh, as a big sister because i am in fact a big sister if those people are scared and thrown off and turned off by you saying hey i don't want to just casually date you i would like to see more of you i want to get to know you i want to build a friendship with you you know, if they're thrown off by you saying all that and they seemingly disappear, let them. Let them. Because that person showed you their true colors right off the bat. It's it's a big thank you um, of them to do that. Because then you don't have to wonder anymore what their actions were. You don't have to... Uh, sit around and wait for this song and dance to play itself out when they're showing you right off the bat who their true colors, what their true colors are. So I guess be grateful for that. I was always told growing up when I was seeking, not growing up, but I was always told by people around me when I was seeking out romantic relationships that if I got rejected a lot, it was sort of a redirection, which now in hindsight that I see it, it's kind of true. Redirection is... No, rejection is redirection. Um, but for a lot of my adult life, uh, you know, I always hated that phrase because I thought, well, it's easy for these people to say it because they've already been in relationships. And, you know, I would even hear the phrase, oh, you don't want to be in a relationship. It's so lame. You know, it's a lot of work. And it's like, you don't have to say that just because you were soured by the experience you had with relationships doesn't mean you get to sour that experience for someone else you know um 
correlation does not lead to causation. Um, and that's, <laughs> let, me, let me say that again, that way people don't think that everything I'm saying is factual. These are just things that I have observed and noticed. Take them with a grain of salt, take them however you want to. But again, everything I'm saying is correlation does not lead to causation. Just because I'm saying that you grew up in a chaotic household, chaotic environment, doesn't mean that you are the sum of all your um, be. You're not the sum of your environment. You know what I mean? In some cases, you can be, but just don't take that seriously. Um, but yeah, for the longest time, I sought out um, these relationships because in the end, I was hoping they, they would turn into something serious. And then when they didn't, I was severely disappointed even though I knew what the outcome was going to be. I knew these people weren't going to want to commit. I knew they weren't going to give me what I wanted in return. So, and they weren't going to get what they wanted in return because they knew they had to put in the work. I had one guy one time, um, and for, you know, privacy and security and legal reasons, I will never mention someone's name on this podcast. Um, because I don't want to get sued for defamation. <laughs> but um, I had one guy literally say that he liked me. And I could sense that he liked me. But I would ask him questions about myself. About, you know, like, why did he like me? What, what did he like about me? Or why did he want to go out with me? And this guy would literally get pissed off because I was asking too many questions. I had already asked too many questions and I had already like, I guess in his mind, pushed the envelope. Um, and if asking too many questions triggers you, man, you don't need that person. Because let me just tell you, they are probably super duper duper insecure and uncomfortable with asking those questions for themselves that having someone else ask those questions they, that, that they cannot answer about themselves, that triggers them and that makes them insecure. So, I mean, you should be able to ask someone the question of like, why do you like me? Or what do you like about me? You know, without it being triggering. Um, and, and when something triggers you, you have to go back to the source and the root of why is it triggering to you? Um, like I, like I've been telling you guys, the reason that surface level things were triggering for me and why I hate them to this day is because I never got my emotional needs as a child satiated. My inner child was always silenced, was always suppressed. Um, and that's why I felt the need to overshare absolutely everything. And another reason I think we overshare too hear me out here again correlation does not lead to causation but i think a lot of the time we overshare because when it's a trauma response to us not getting our emotional needs met um, and our inner child being silenced but also too it is coming from a fear of abandonment um, we think that if we don't give people right away our personality, if we don't just show it and display it off right away, that those people are going to leave. It's like, it's like when you go fishing, right? And you, um, I, I mean, I don't know much about fishing. I really, really don't. So if I make this analogy and it sounds weird and it doesn't sound well, let me know. But it's like when you're out at the lake fishing, right? And you have your bait and you have your fishing rod and, 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 and all that stuff. What, what's the first thing you do? You make sure your fishing line is not tangled, obviously. And you make sure you have some kind of bait. You know, in this case, the bait is yourself. And, and the fish is those people. Uh, your personality is your bait and you're trying to get these people to catch you you're trying to get the bait to catch the fish the fish being these other people that you are trying to impress right so 
a lot of the time we will showcase all our personality personality all at once just so that people can see oh this is the type of person she is um and that includes part of it oversharing um but a lot of people can feel overwhelmed with people oversharing because it's like they don't want to hear this about you Uh, it's too much for them and you know especially if we're meeting someone right off the bat and we start oversharing everything obviously it's going to turn someone off it's going to be too much for them um the other thing i have found too and i someone was very kind enough to bring it up to me in private um and this was something pertaining to what i did with my personality and she's a friend of mine i won't mention who she is but she's a very nice friend and she was kind enough to tell me this in private and personally because uh, she was concerned for my emotional well-being but she said that she had already known me for two years but she felt like she didn't really 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 know me um well that she had seen this facade that i was putting up this like super rambunctious super spunky self-deprecating always talked about wanting a boyfriend type of personality that she never really got to see the emotionally vulnerable side of me and the real side of me which can sometimes be quite quiet and introverted i mean i don't think i show that part of myself off to a lot of people Um, But she was kind enough to bring this up to me and let me know, hey, I think I don't really know you. Like, I've known you for almost two years, but this is what you're putting out to me. And I don't think that's your real, actual self. Because we have, like, a shadow self and we have, like, like our ego, our super ego and our id, you know. And I... I have to do a refresher on all those three because I honestly don't remember which one's which, which I should know because it's like basic level psychology. But I'm pretty glad that she brought that up because it was a trauma response. It was a way for me to hook, line, and sinker people into wanting to get to know me, um, into wanting to build a close relationship with me i thought well i'll just you know overshare all these parts about my life all the highlights of my life and maybe people will want to gravitate towards me and it did quite the opposite and i think to this day it still does quite the opposite and you know my psychologist was telling me that i have this is going to make me sound like i'm diagnosed with with disassociative identity disorder also known as multiple personality disorder they change it a lot in the dsm-5 anyways but she says that i have this professor personality which i've talked about in previous episodes and the professor is just this very highbrow intellectual um smart um know-it-all kind of side of me that just dumps all this information on right and she says that there could be in our previous session last week she said that there could be another personality that she said that she's kind of discovered about me that could be turning people off to me um which i can kind of see it now what what it could kind of be um that is maybe throwing people off. She says that the professor, the pro- the pro- the professor, the personality that I was just talking about right now, that's very witty and know it all and intellectual. She says that that could be throwing people off and not wanting them to be my friend and gravitate towards me. And I can kind of see why because it it could make me sound very pompous, very know it all, very like. Um, smart aleck of me and not in a good way but more like oh well she thinks she's the big shit and um 
she thinks she's she knows it all and she thinks she's all that and you know I'm not trying to portray that side of me but I guess it, I can see how in a way it could come out um so that's hopefully something that me and my psychologist will probably get into maybe in this week's session I have no idea I have my sessions on Wednesdays virtually so that's really really nice and convenient that I get to see my psychologist pretty much from anywhere um but um yeah uh <laughs> how do I wrap this up without it sounding too awkward uh yeah this is this is something that I think I've wanted to talk about for a while but I never really got it out there because it seemed very uh uh, overwhelming and and trust me when I say this it is overwhelming to talk about this to you guys because it is a lot of information and it feels very much like I'm dumpster emotionally dumpster dumping on you guys um, but it is important it's an important conversation that I've been wanting to have um, and I think a lot of people will relate to this episode um, and I just want to say that I am working on healing my inner child I am working on on healing those inner wounds and 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 now looking back at it now where I'm in a good place I'm in a better place emotionally right than I was a few months ago even a few years ago but I can tell you now that now that I'm in a stable and healthy now that I've you know moved away from home and I'm in a stable, healthy, loving, romantic relationship. Now I have to try to see that as normal. Because I grew up with such a distorted view of what normal was. Which for me, my normal was chaos. Sometimes it still is chaos. Sometimes... It results me, sometimes things can feel a little too normal and a little too weird in my relationships or in just in my life, right? That I find some way to add a little spice in there um, and by making a little bit of a character development, a little bit of way to find to drop some chaos into my life which as as it results now that's just me developing another trauma response coping mechanism to everything that I've experienced and it's gonna take a lot of a lot a lot a lot a lot of uh, work with my psychologist to to get rid of that habit and to not do it anymore. Um, but we'll eventually get there. And when I do, I will like talk about it on here. That way you guys, you know, can, can hear about this journey with me. Um, cause I think it is a very important and a very relatable one. I think this is something we can all relate from. Um, sorry that I went off on multiple tangents here. But I think it was important to bring all that up and and just talk about it in a very candid and accessible way. Um, but anyways, guys, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Um, as always, you can call my podcast number and that is 956-278-0720. 956-278-0720. One more time. 956 956- Two seven eight zero seven twenty, and you can leave me a voicemail message on there letting me know what you want to hear on the next podcast episode if you want advice if you want to be a guest on there if you want to leave a voice message you can just leave it on there i also have a voice message link that's linked to the podcast website you can also leave me a voice message there i will link it below as always i will link mental health resources in the description box below 
um check out my friend's podcast it's in the description box below as well <laughs> everything's in the description box as well um as always guys i will have this episode posted on all podcast platforms and on my youtube channel hopefully soon um i pray that you go forth prosper and god bless and i hope you're having a wonderful morning day or night whatever you are love you guys Bye.